ask you to turn in your Bibles to uh, Mark chapter 16. And if you don't have a Bible with you, you'll find the scripture text on the back of the worship guide. And I'm going to ask you to follow along with that later on in the message. So I hope you'll have that where you can see it. While you're turning, I just wanted to mention uh, something about uh, one of our classes this next Wednesday. uh, And it's mainly because I've been asked uh, a number of times... Uh, about the book, The Shack. If you have read The Shack or if you have heard about it, uh, you may be interested in coming this Wednesday night uh, in the context of one of the classes that we are uh, teaching. Uh, I'll be doing a a discussion about uh, uh, that particular book. So, uh, uh, if, as I say, if you have read it, I would really encourage you to come, or if you're just curious about it because you've heard other people talking about it, we would welcome you to come uh, to the class. It meets right down this hallway at, at the end. The Christian Science Monitor uh, reports that uh, there are over 100 books in print that include the phrase in its title, that changed the world. Now, for instance, uh, gunpowder, the history of the explosive that changed the world. Um, Just a a few others. El Nino, the weather phenomenon that changed the world. Model T Ford, the car that changed the world. Uh, The Pill, a biography of the drug that changed the world. Uh, The Twist, story of the song and dance that changed the world. Uh, Here's an important one. Cod, a biography of the fish that changed the world. And then one of my favorites, uh, Mauve, how one man invented a color that changed the world. I'm not even sure what Mauve is, so if you're wearing Mauve today, somebody uh, tell me what that is. Well, there was... Uh, You know, obviously, at least in my view, some of these are overestimating the importance of these particular uh, titles and the subjects of these books. But there is one that I don't think I would dispute. And it's called The Weekend That Changed the World, The Mystery of Jerusalem's Empty Tomb. I've not read the book. But the subject matter, I would agree. That was a weekend that changed the world. Today we're going to be talking not about a book, but about the book, the account, one of the accounts, and of course from the Gospel of Mark that we have been studying for many, many weeks now. And we are in chapter 16. This series has been called In Search of the Real Jesus. And we come in many ways to the culmination of that search. If this part's true, it endorses the rest of the things that we have talked about. And so let's give our attention to God's Word 
We're going to read uh, in chapter 16, verse 1 through the end of the book. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and a Salome, bought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb and they asked each other, who will roll, away, roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene who was crucified. He has risen. He's not here. See the place where they laid him? But go, tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's bow together. We thank you for this time of celebration, Lord. We thank you for your word, which is truth. This is a a real account. It's not a story. It's not a legend. Will you reinforce that in our hearts? Will you give us a grasp of what took place on that weekend that change the world. We ask for this in Jesus' name. Amen. I told you I was reading till the end of the book. Stopped at verse 8. It's a rather abrupt ending, isn't it? Look at that verse again. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. Now, let's talk about that strange ending uh, before we get back to the other part of the text. If you have an older King James Bible, it goes right on into verse 9 through uh, verse 20. It's a whole other section there. If you have most newer translations of the Bible, there's at least a dividing point. Uh, For instance, in the New International Version, there's a big line there. And then there's a statement, the earliest manuscripts and some other ancient witnesses do not have Mark 16, 9 through 20. Some of yours may just have some notes down in the margin about that. Now, i got to tell you, I'd just soon not deal with that on Easter morning. But integrity demands that we do that. This is our text in chapter 16. 
we've been building up to this. We've been approaching this. And so we've got to deal with this if we're going to be honest in terms of dealing with the the text itself. Um, So let me tell you that in the studies that I've done, and I really had to come to a conclusion this week. I've worked at it for many, many weeks, but I've put off ultimately a decision. But I'm at peace with my uh, conclusion that I really don't think that that last section uh, is a part of the original gospel of Mark. Now, there are many wonderful things that are said there. In fact, there's, there's virtually nothing in there that doesn't fit with other parts of Scripture. Uh, some of it is almost quotes from other parts of Scripture. So that's not the problem. Uh, but at the same time, I just don't think it was uh, probably there originally. It was probably a, a summary of many of the things that were taught by the church, uh, the views of the church, and it was kind of bringing them all together to that someone, and then a number of them picked it up to kind of round out the gospel because of the abrupt ending. Imagine getting to uh, the end of the gospel and, and having such a different ending where it just simply says, trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. And imagine thinking, oh boy, I'm not sure that's such a great ending, you know? You ever come to the end of a, a, a movie or something and you go, oh no, that, they're not going to make that the ending, are they? And I suspect that uh, there's some of that involved. Now, let me give you my three reasons uh, why I don't think it ought to be there. First of all, although uh, if you look at the Greek manuscripts, which I'm not going to say I went back and looked at all the Greek manuscripts. I didn't do that. But uh, if you were to study them, as many, many have done, uh, the majority of the Greek manuscripts do contain this but not the oldest ones or the ones that are considered to be the most reliable. And so that's one reason that I think it probably ought not to be there, combined with the other two reasons. The second reason is the internal evidence. Uh, What follows here really doesn't fit with what leads up to it. In other words, it still would be an abrupt ending. You might feel like, well, it's a better ending than what's there if you stop at eight, but it, <coughs> it would be a discontinuity where he says that he's going to meet you in Galilee and then there's no reference to that and so on. And Mary Magdalene is spoken of in uh, uh, verse 9 as if she's just now being introduced, things like that. So the internal evidence, I think, doesn't fit. And then thirdly, the language that's used in the original, in the Greek, There are a number of words in this brief section in verse 9 through uh, 20. There's a number of words in there that aren't used anywhere else in the gospel. Now, it wouldn't be unusual to have one or two or three words uh, that weren't used in a previous part. I mean, we all pull out words now and then that we haven't been using. But there are just way too many which 
gives evidence that this probably was written by uh, someone else or some other people. Uh, So, as I said, my estimation is that it was a good summary of early church teaching. Uh, Someone tacked it on just trying to round out the gospel. And that's why, for our purposes, we will consider uh, verse 8 to be the last verse in the book. By the way, before you get your hopes up too much, that doesn't mean we're done with Mark, okay? Now, I wanted to uh, do the resurrection on Easter Sunday, and so I uh, worked it out so we would land here, but consequently, there are a few sections, important sections, that we're going to go back and pick up before we finish it, but it will, we will finish the book uh, this spring at least. Um, Now, that still doesn't answer the question, why the abrupt ending? Why such a strange and abrupt ending? I want us to follow the account through, and I think that will give us a a clue uh, in terms of why Mark decided to end the gospel the way that he did. So let's go back up to Verse 1, it talks about uh, the Sabbath. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Now, the Sabbath officially ended at sundown on Saturday. And so, after sundown, they were able to go out and to Uh, buy some more spices. The spices, they did not embalm bodies uh, like the Egyptians, for instance. But uh, they would put spices around a body and and wrap those spices to offset what happens to uh, a body after they are deceased. And so it was a respectful thing to do. And they had to do it very hurriedly with just a few spices. So they were going to go back. They uh, respected the the Sabbath. And then there are three women mentioned here. Uh, Mary Magdalene. Now, she was from the village of Magdala. Luke tells us that Jesus had cast seven demons out of her. And this may surprise you. But Mary Magdalene, there's no evidence that she was a woman of low morals. I know traditionally we tend to think of that. She was not. There's no evidence that she was the woman that was caught in adultery. Uh, Unfortunately, way back, uh, some folks in church history related her to that incident. And so she, uh, for a long time has become known as uh, a woman of very low morals. Uh, She was not married to or have children with Jesus, like the Da Vinci Code and other things claim. Uh, Frank Mead said this, We have had Mary Magdalene in the pillory for 1,900 years, flinging mud. We should have been pilloried. This Mary was never a harlot. There's no evidence anywhere for that. At most, she was neurotic, and Jesus healed her. 
which by the way, that should be encouraging for those of you that are neurotic too. Jesus deals and heals and uses people like that. She was a devoted and grateful disciple of Jesus. Uh, Then there was Mary, the mother of James. Um, I spent a good bit of time this week trying to figure out who who all these these women were. And if you look in the other accounts, there's others that are listed. Uh, It's uh, the disciples' mother. Then Salome. uh, This was the mother of James and John. Uh, From the other Gospels, we read that Mary, the mother of Jesus, was there as well as other women. So there's at least three Marys there. And then there are some other women, all that are going to uh, attend to the body. Now look at verse 2. Then it says, very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb. Now that's Sunday morning. And we're about to see why we worship on Sunday rather than on the old Jewish Sabbath. The early church, from this time on, gathered on Sunday morning in order to celebrate. That's not why they went, but from this time on, in order to celebrate that Jesus was alive. Now, they run into a dilemma. Look at verse 3. They ask each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? Now, Mark is the only gospel that records this. And as we've said, as we go through the uh, gospel of Mark that really spares details, it's always a good question. If he adds a detail, why does he put this in here? And I think it all all relates to the same reasons why we have the abrupt ending. So I want you to stay with me on this. So they... They, uh, you know, for the first time, they're headed to the tomb. They've got all their spices. They think they got it all together. And they say, wait a minute. How are we going to get that stone rolled away? They realize that, uh, you know, even all of them put together couldn't move the stone. They didn't have any men or with them who could help or do it. And then verse 4 says, but when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. So they discover that. They didn't expect it, did they? They thought it was still going to be closed. And by the way, don't make the mistake of thinking that the stone was rolled away so Jesus could get out. That wasn't why the stone was rolled away. It was so they could get in. And so other witnesses could get into the tomb. Jesus had no problem getting out of the tomb. He wasn't worried about the stone being there. And then they have this encounter. Look at verse 5. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side. Now, that was apparently the angel that rolled away uh, the stone. Luke says there were two angels. Some 
make a, a big thing of how those accounts don't fit with each other. Is there two angels? Is there one? But it's not unusual when we see this other places in the gospel for uh, one of the gospels to just focus on the speaker and not necessarily say how many others were there. So uh, that's at least for Mark and Matthew. They just focused on the, the angel that was speaking. But look at their reaction. Okay, they entered the tomb. They saw a young man dressed in a white robe in the, uh, uh, sitting on the right side. And they were alarmed. Is that a natural reaction? Absolutely. It's natural if you're not expecting there to be an empty tomb. They were alarmed. Instead of seeing Jesus the way Joseph had left him, wrapped in a linen, placed in the tomb, they were alarmed. They saw it was open, but I still expect that at that moment when they saw that the stone was moved, they thought they would walk in and they would still see Jesus laying there, the body of Jesus laying there. But instead, they encountered this young man dressed in white. And then verse 6. Don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene who was crucified. He has risen. He's not here. See the place where they laid him? Now, in the simplest of terms, he addresses their concerns, their alarm. says they're alarmed. He says, don't be alarmed. Okay? And that's, that tends to be the first priority of what angels do. Remember back at the birth of Jesus with the shepherds? That's the first thing, you know, it said they were sore afraid in the old King James, you know, they, the, all these angels, they were sore afraid. And the first thing that the angel says is, don't be afraid. Don't be sore afraid. <laughs> and so that, that always is the first, the first thing that the angel will do, and that's address their greatest concern. Now, the other thing that we see here historically is uh, that there was no mistake about which tomb it was. You know, that's one of the, the old theories of those that don't want to believe there was a resurrection. They think, oh, the, the women were distraught, and they just went to the wrong tomb. And so then they started this rumor that there had been a resurrection. But here in the Scripture... It says, uh, makes it clear there at the right tomb, Jesus, the Nazarene, who was crucified. Now, as usual, then Mark stays with just the bare facts. He's risen. He's not here. Come look where you left him, where he was left. And then there's instructions, verse 7. But go... Tell his disciples and Peter, he was going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him, 
just as he told you. So here's their instructions. Now, I want you to take note, though, what, what do they do <coughs> with these instructions? All they have to do is go back and tell the disciples and Peter. Verse 8, last verse in the book. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb they said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. Still got the question. Why end that way? I'm convinced that showing their reaction, showing their alarm, their fear, their bewilderment authenticates this passage. It tells us that this is an accurate presentation of what actually took place. Now, here's why. I took some time this week, and I decided to rewrite this passage as if I were trying to prove to some people that weren't there, try to prove to them that Jesus rose from the dead. And so what I want you to do is I want you to follow along in your Bible or follow along on the back of the worship guide with uh, the Scripture itself, and I want you to see what I at least would have changed. Because, I, I, you know, quite frankly, I wouldn't have written it this way if I was trying to prove the resurrection. Okay, so notice where I insert what I would have said. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, bought food for a great resurrection celebration. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to see if the tomb was empty yet. And they asked each other, I wonder who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb when Jesus rises from the dead. This should be the day, just like he said. Verse 4, But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they knew that Jesus was alive and they rejoiced. The angel proclaimed, He has risen, He is not here. See the place where they laid Him? But go tell His disciples and Peter, He's going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see Him, just as He told you. Happy and confident and exuberant, the women went out from the tomb. They spoke to everyone because they now knew that all that Jesus had said had come true. He was alive. Now, that's how I would have written it if I were trying to prove this. Because after all, these women should be women of faith by now. They knew the resurrection should be coming. But God knew better. 
and he gave quite a different account. He told it like it was. So why the abrupt ending? Well, one secular literary critic has said about the ending, the conclusion is either intolerably clumsy or it is incredibly subtle. I would argue that it's incredibly subtle and consequently incredibly powerful. It forces us back into the narrative to fill in the gaps. And we see that Jesus' words would have been fulfilled to the letter in everything that has happened to this point. Jesus promised his disciples they would be scattered and he would go before them to Galilee. We know that they did from accounts beyond this narrative. But the gospel ends like one of Jesus' parables and forces us to work things out for ourselves. The abrupt ending is because that's the way it really happened. The focus was not upon the great faith of the women. It was not upon the great faith of the disciples, upon them believing that everything that Jesus had said would come true. But instead we see real human reactions. They didn't know what to do. And the fact that the Bible records that should encourage us and give us even more confidence that this is the way it really happened. Go to all the Gospels and you can put together what took place. You can see all of the appearances and so on and you will see that they were not contrived accounts to try to prove something. And so that leaves us with the question that confronts us. Did it really happen? If, like that critic says, we are left to work it out for ourselves, the question is, did it really happen? And if it did, a response is appropriate. We need to fill in the rest of the story. The women did eventually tell the disciples. The disciples and the women eventually witnessed firsthand, not someone saying Jesus is alive, but they witnessed him being alive. They encountered the risen Christ himself. Now there's one more thing I want to take us back to. Just a little phrase In verse 7, their instruction, but go, tell his disciples and, and Peter. Why was he singled out? Go tell his disciples and Peter. Peter had denied Jesus. Three times. Peter, of all the disciples, needed to know that Jesus was alive. Yes, he needed to meet with Jesus and to 
deal with his sin and repent of it and be restored and become useful. And he did that. And he was. So be encouraged, whoever you are. Whatever you've done, the risen Lord is alive for you. Let's bow together. We rejoice that you are alive. We give you all praise. Will you give us the ability to respond to you in faith? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.